Let us pray. Father, indeed, we do ask that you would still be our vision and that you truly would be ruler of all, ruler in our lives and our hearts in this church. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning. You may be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to our New Testament reading from 1 Corinthians this morning, chapter 1, focusing on verses 18 through 25. I know that today is the Feast of the Dedication because it, February 2nd is always that feast and it falls on a Sunday, but I felt led to continue in our series from 1 Corinthians um, this morning about the message of the cross. When viewed from a merely human perspective, sometimes the ways of God just don't seem to make sense. Sometimes we have a hard time understanding or grasping what God is doing. When viewed from a, viewed from a merely human perspective, the idea of Jesus, the eternal son of God, dying on a cross doesn't make sense. Mere human wisdom wants to avoid the truth that Christ's suffering and death on the cross was because of us and it was for us. It was our sin, not his, because he had none that took him there. Mere human wisdom wants to remove the horror and shame of the cross. We don't want to deal with just how horrible and gory and grotesque the cross was. In contrast, those of us who have embraced the truth and wisdom of God have grown to and hopefully are continuing to grow to love the message of the cross. We love it because it demonstrates the immeasurable love which God has for us. We love it because we understand that it is, the, it is only by the cross of Christ that we enjoy this wonderful reality of a living relationship with God. Trying to make the message of the cross, take the message of the cross and force fit it into human terms and a framework of humanly devised wisdom is not new, even though people are still trying to do it. It happens in our day. It was happening in Corinth as well. So as we look at this passage today, my purpose is twofold. First, that as we grow in our love for Jesus, we will indeed grow in our love for the full message of the cross. And then second, that our love for the message will stir us to more fully embrace God's method of making the message of the cross known, which is you and me. So what is God's message? The message that we must grow to love. God's message is the cross the cross by which Christ has provided for our salvation. Salvation which requires fully embracing with all of our being, with all of our heart, the message of the cross of Christ, Christ as it is clearly presented in God's holy word. As we look at 1 Corinthians chapter one, Paul draws a contrast between two groups. He draws a line of demarcation in verse 18, which places every single person who has lived 
is presently living or who is yet to live in one of two categories. It is those who are perishing or us who are being saved. And the cross of Christ is that object and event which divides and defines the two. The question every one of us must answer is, what are we? Let's make it more personal than that. What are you, what am I going to do with the message of the cross? I think it's important to note the terms, those who are perishing and us who are being saved are in the present tense. And that is significant because the idea here is there is a timelessness to this. Those who are perishing and apart from Christ already at present, apart from redemptive intervention are on a path of destruction because they have not responded to the message of God. And remember, not responding in any way is no different, different than purposeful, conscious rejection of the message. Responding to and embracing the message of the cross, salvation, new life through Jesus alone is what enables us to be placed in the second category that St. Paul brings to our attention. Those of us who are being saved. Both perishing and being saved are already happening, not simply something that takes place in the future. Christ died once for all to redeem us, but it is his continuing saving work that keeps us. Christ has saved us. Christ is saving us at this very moment, and he will continue to save us for all time and eternity. And the old categories don't matter anymore. Jew and Gentile, Greek, Roman, barbarian, male, female, slave, free, rich or poor, whatever kind of dichotomies we might want to develop in our flesh, they're all put aside in the message of the cross. Because God's message, God's word to us is that Christ has been crucified for us. Paul also draws a second contrast between two messages. A contrast between the message of the cross and the message or words of human wisdom. He tells, St. Paul tells us about the message or word of human wisdom in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. It is not our eloquent human wisdom that brings people to a transforming encounter with Jesus Christ. It is the message or the word of the cross. And in the cross of Christ, God has stood the wisdom of this age, human wisdom, not anchored in God's truth on its head. Now hear me, Paul is not making a statement here against wisdom or learning. Paul himself was a learned man, a scholar, but hear me, true wisdom must be illumined by God's word and by the supernatural insight of the Holy Spirit or it is empty and it is hollow and it is useless. Apart from God's word 
and the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit, wisdom is fruitless and at times even destructive. God, yes, has used learned people through the ages, but he's also used unlearned people. Think about the Old Testament prophets and think of Isaiah, highly educated with access to the highest levels of power and and the royal courts in the ancient world. And God used him profoundly. And yet God also used a prophet like Amos, an uneducated farm boy, basically, in equally profound ways. Think about the Apostle Paul, again, educated as a Pharisee in the school of Hillel, highly educated. And then we have St. Peter, an uneducated fisherman. The gospel, the message of the cross, is not simply some newer or higher form of wisdom or a new philosophical system. This is what some of the Corinthians are being led to wrongly believe. It had nothing and it has nothing to do with worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom allows for human judgments. Worldly wisdom allows for ideas regarding how God should act or how God must do things that are anchored in the flesh and not in the truth of God. And God blows that box to pieces with the cross of Christ. Because from a merely human perspective, the wisdom of the cross is foolishness. It is senseless. It is absurd. In the cross of Christ, God sets aside and even destroys earthly human wisdom. You see, as we see in verses 20 through 21, human wisdom always wants proof. Proof on on human terms. So Paul asks, where is the wise man? He addresses Gentiles. He addresses Greeks by saying this. Greek philosophers who, as we've talked about in past sermons and past Sundays, made human beings the measure of all things, the ultimate and final measure. We still see this today. If I, as a human being, can't understand it, if I can't get my head around it, if it doesn't fit my frame of reference, then it cannot be true because I am the ultimate and final authority. Paul also asks, where is the scholar? Literally, where is the scribe, the expert in the law? And these folks, in many instances, had allowed the law of God to degenerate into a works righteousness a system whereby salvation was earned rather than embraced through a faith relationship, which which was God's heart, even under the old covenant. And the final question Paul asks is, where is the philosopher of this age? And in this, he combines the Greek and the Jew together, basically saying, you think you've you've got it all figured out. But the reality was and is this, they did not have it figured out. In God's, from God's perspective, actually they were completely missing it. God's whole plan for the redemption of humanity through all of history is through a crucified Messiah. A Messiah who dies. Not only that, he dies the vile death of a criminal or a slave. 
from the Jewish perspective, he died a cursed death. Deuteronomy 21, 23 reminds us of this. Anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. The late Anglican pastor and New Testament scholar John Stott in his book, The Cross of Christ, puts it this way. We can understand why Paul's message of the cross was to many of his listeners foolishness, even madness. How could any sane person worship as a God, a dead man, who had been condemned as a criminal and subjected to the most humiliating form of execution? This combination of death, crime, and shame put him beyond the pale of respect, let alone worship. In saving the world through that which from the human perspective is foolishness, God was not in any way trying to trip us up or say, aha, gotcha. That's not the heart of God. This was the only way. As Jesus prayed in the garden, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Apart from the cross, we are forever separated from God, trapped, dead in our trespasses and sin. We must love the message of the cross. We must love God's message because it is through that message and fully embracing it that we find forgiveness of sins and new life and hope and healing and redemption and all the attributes of God's character and kingdom. Excuse me. Not only is the message of the cross foolishness by human standards, but God's method of making this wonderful, glorious message known is folly as well. God was pleased, verse 21, through the foolishness of what was preached. We, you get that? We, you and I, are the means that God has chosen to make his message known. People in every age who reject the message of God fit into basically one of two categories described by Paul in verse 22. Jews demand miraculous signs. Basically, show us something visible, show us something supernatural now, and then we'll believe. How many people do the same thing today? They want, they demand supernatural verification. Often they're looking for supernatural verification with no biblical moorings or biblical bearings. They're looking for supernatural without biblical faith. That is what so much of what is called being spiritual but not religious in the world around us today is about. We hear all this talk about spirituality. If it's not anchored and moored in the truth of God, it's hollow and empty at the very least and in many cases, absolutely demonic. At times, signs do follow believers by God's grace, but that is not the primary way that people come to faith. I mean, I've seen people, and I know many of you have seen people who God did true, bona fide miracles in their lives, and as soon as they got what they wanted, they went on their own merry way and never came to embrace the full message of the cross of Jesus Christ. 
people in Jesus' day and today do not believe simply because they were confronted with miracles or the supernatural. Greeks look for wisdom. Greeks in many instances abandoned their gods and literally made human wisdom their god. And again, people do the same thing today. People who fall into both groupings, miracle seekers and what I would call wisdom worshipers want a powerful God, but one who serves them and their selfish ends. One who can be somehow controlled by them as if that were possible and contained within their limited capacity to understand God and his ways. And yet the biblical reality is that, is that it is not science or miracles nor human wisdom that God uses to transform people. God, in his wisdom, uses the foolishness of what was preached. Lovingly, boldly sharing and proclaiming the essence of the message of the cross. Verse 23 but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the wisdom, excuse me, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Proclamation, our proclamation, our kerygma, is the cross of Christ. There are dangers with that because people do not always want to hear the full message. Again, it was true in Paul's day as well as ours. They don't want to contemplate, again, the gory and grotesque nature of the cross. They don't want to confront their own guilt and complicity in Christ's death as the Spirit of God convicts them. It's easy to build relationships and leave out or shy away from the cross and God words such as sin and repentance that are necessary. And the cross is to those folks and we need to make sure it is never to us an offense as we share in the gospel. We need to make sure that as we share the gospel in love and grace that when folks are offended, it is because of the message of the cross itself and not because of something that we have done in our flesh. But apprehending the full love of God, the full grace of God, the full transforming power of God requires understanding and embracing these truths. The cross of Jesus Christ is the epicenter of God's plan and activity throughout all of time and human history. As 1 John chapter 4, 19 reminds us, we love because he first loved us. The message of the cross is the supreme demonstration of God's love for you and me and for all of humanity. As John Calvin wrote, and I'm not a Calvinist, for in the cross of Christ, as in a splendid theater, the incomparable goodness of God is set forth before the whole world. The glory of God shines indeed in all creatures on high and below, but never more brightly than in the cross. Love for God, love for Jesus, 
eternal life, the transforming power of God's grace. None of these things can ever be separated from, the lo- from a love for the message of the cross. And loving that message fully means that we also are compelled by the indwelling spirit of God to understand and comprehend that God's means of making that message known is you and me, the church of Jesus Christ. And there is no plan B. This is God's plan for the salvation of the world. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your great love for us, for your church, for the world. Your heart's desire that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And thank you, Father, that you have made that possible as you alone only could through what Jesus Christ has done through his cross and resurrection. Father, may we never flee from, but grow to embrace more fully day by day grow to more fully love day by day the message of the cross. And then out of love for you and that message which reflects your heart and what you have done on our behalf by your grace and your mercy. Lord, strengthen us and fill us and compel us, not in our flesh, but in your power to make that message known. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.